Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast. I'm Joe Castellano, and today's guest is someone who I worked with on high school football and basketball games and minor league baseball games down in San Jose, the San Jose Giants, and it was very satisfying to see her move up the ladder and get a job with Cron 4, Kate Rooney, who is now a sports anchor and reporter for Cron 4 in San Francisco. And here's the conversation we had on Wednesday evening. Well, Kate, thanks a lot for joining me here on the Sports Virus Podcast. All new, uh, you know, last time I saw you, I was doing the the Giants, the Warriors, 49ers podcast. Now it's all sports, but we're actually going to talk about those Bay Area teams here. Uh, Happy holidays to you, and I really appreciate your time and coming on. Happy holidays, Joe. Can't think of a better way to kick off the holiday season than uh, spending a little time talking sports with you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. And uh, let's start by talking about the 49ers. You're around them all the time, going to the practices, and this has been a great turnaround that they've had because uh, they were kind of down in the doldrums there earlier this season, but now they've been winning games. Uh, you know, Jimmy G has looked really good. Uh, you know, when they've been able to stay healthy with their important players, they look like a team that's really going to go a long way in the playoffs, in my opinion. So what do you think from what you've seen and the turnaround they've had? It's been really fascinating to watch because for a while there, it really looked like there was something maybe fundamentally wrong with the way Kyle Shanahan was running this program. I say that because you just look at the level of talent that they had and the fact that they weren't able to produce enough wins. They weren't able to produce um, quality play was really troubling because it didn't make any sense. If they feel like they're doing everything right, they're conditioning these guys the right way, they're running their practices the right way, they're designing uh, their plays the right way, there's no excuse for not getting these guys to perform. But I think maybe it was just a matter of um, putting a few different pieces into place and figuring some things out because it certainly looks like they've done that over the last couple weeks. Um, You know, they still had that loss to the Seahawks, but I think you can kind of even hedge that one a little bit because that's just one of those teams that's kind of been a monkey on the back of the 49ers for a long time. Um, They're playing the way that we expected them to play at the beginning of the season. They are running it well. Uh, Their skilled players are performing at a high level. Jimmy Garoppolo is at his best level. I think the best that, you know, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo be capable of. And, of course, the pass rush looks as good as it has in a long time. So uh, these are all things to be really encouraged about. And I know it might be a little bit of a cliche, but they're definitely one of those teams that other teams are not interested in facing right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Since you mentioned Garoppolo, I'm curious, what were your thoughts about, uh, first of all, the way, you know, the media and the fan base was reacting to the way he was playing earlier and now uh, because things have changed a lot and just the way that he's handled the whole situation because you know that he would always be sort of looking over his back at Trey Lance because that, that was the answer in a lot of people's opinion. You know, that's why the 49ers brought in Lance was because, it, you know, if, if Jimmy faltered at all, they would bring him in, but it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, 49ers quarterbacks seem to get a lot of scrutiny, don't they? I know every quarterback for every every team does, but maybe it has something to do with the fact that in the Bay Area they were so spoiled by having Joe Montana and Steve Young back-to-back. There's just a lot of pressure on the shoulders of these guys. And after Jimmy Garoppolo won those five straight games in his first half season here in San Francisco, I think everybody thought that he was the savior of this franchise. And even though he went to the Super Bowl, it kind of became clear in his first, 
two full years here, between his injuries and the level of play we saw from him, that that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. So is Jimmy an elite quarterback? It doesn't look like it, and I certainly don't think that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch think that, or they wouldn't have mortgaged the future, so to speak, to pick up Trey Lance. But I do think that they really do believe in his ability to take them far with this current roster. And the players are really behind him. That is the one thing that just stands out so much from week to week, talking to the 49ers players. They believe Jimmy is their leader. They have no time for anyone who says anything about Trey Lance getting in there. They like Trey, too. I think they're excited to see what Trey can do down the road. But right now, they want to play for Jimmy. They believe Jimmy is the guy to do it for him. Um, And I think that Jimmy has handled it really well. He doesn't seem to be a guy who pays much attention to what's being said on social media or what's being said by the fans. He's always incredibly gracious with the media, self-effacing almost in a way. Um, But he does just seem like he's playing with a level of confidence that is what the 49ers honestly are going to need if they do hope to make a playoff run. He does. And, you know, he doesn't look like he's really worried about anything. Like you said, I mean, it seems like he's having a lot of fun. He might be... One of those people that can just really live in the moment. Is that the sense you get from being around him? I do. And in fact, he's talked about that. He said that's something you have to learn as a quarterback. You have to be able to shake off all the other stuff. You have to be able to shake off your bad games. You have to be able to shake off those interceptions that in some sense he's kind of become notorious for throwing one or two really questionable interceptions in a game. Hasn't done that in the last couple of games. And, um, I wouldn't go so far as saying he's playing with swag, but I think he is playing with a level of confidence in his own abilities and in the players around him. And when you look at the fact that he's leading the league in yards per attempt right now, um, that just speaks to his efficiency. And that's something that a lot of other teams wish that they've had in that, in that position. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty going on around quarterbacks among the league. If you take out, you know, just those top, three or four guys. There's a lot of uncertainty going on around quarterbacks around the league. So right now, Garoppolo is playing as well as anyone. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, the stat about uh, the yards per attempt, because he gets a lot of heat for not throwing deep, uh, you know, as well as maybe some of the other big-time quarterbacks. I mean, I think every once in a while he can he can let it fly, but I think a lot of the stats are, are probably generated, and uh, it makes sense that you would want to get the ball in the hands of Debo Samuel and George Kittle and let them break tackles and get a lot of yards after the catch. I mean, yeah, that, that might pad his stats a lot, but doesn't it make sense that, you know, you get on the ball quickly, let them do the work because they can do it. They're so good at it. I mean, every time you see George Kittle and Debo Samuel running down the field, it's taken three to five defenders to bring those guys down. They are both just bowling balls. They're both just workhorses. There's a reason they coined the name for themselves a couple years ago, the Yak Bros, the Yards After Catch Bros, because they just keep doing that at an almost unreasonable level. And sure, if that's how Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers can win, who cares? Not every quarterback is going to be a gunslinger and rely on the deep ball, and it doesn't seem like he's one of those guys. But what they are doing right now is working for them. I thought that it was really going to be a killer when Raheem Mostert went out for the season. I just wondered, like, how are they going to fill that void? And then, of course, Elijah comes in, and Elijah Mitchell is terrific, and, you know, he looks like a world beater. Then he gets hurt. So, I mean, it really has tested the depth of the uh, running game for the Niners that now they turn to Jeff Wilson, and he looked healthier in that last game, didn't he? He did, yeah. I mean, I think it just speaks to Kyle Shanahan's system. The way that he he's done that with so many of his running backs over the years here in San Francisco, from from Matt Breida to Raheem Mostert to, to Elijah Mitchell and Jeff Wilson, also a really good example. First of all, he runs them really hard. That's why they always get hurt. It's just the way that they have to play in his system. But 
yeah, I mean, it was incredible to have Jeff Wilson back. He looked like the old Jeff Wilson. I mean, he's a guy who, when he was playing at his best for the 49ers, he was scoring two touchdowns almost every game. Yeah. Um, he's so reliable also in the short yardage situations, and, and those happen a lot in the postseason. So if he can stay healthy, I think that'll be something that's really great for the 49ers. And maybe they'll be able to get Elijah Mitchell back by then, too, and then they'll kind of have that one-two punch. And then don't forget um, – Debo Samuel's looking like he could be an elite running back in this league as well. He is doing it all. I mean, it is really <laughs> amazing to watch the way he can run out of the backfield, uh, the burst of speed that he puts on. And even when we thought that he wasn't 100% healthy in that Cincinnati game, uh, he wasn't even expected to you know, play 100%. And then he's out there and, and just turning on the Jets. Uh, and I just saw your list of pro bowlers. He's one of them, Debo, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, and Nick Bosa. Uh, that just came out within the last hour that you tweeted it. Uh, I just, I, I'm just fascinated by the way Debo plays the game, and you know he might be the MVP of the 49ers. Although that's a that's an interesting question with uh, several different players there. Yeah, it, I mean, isn't it great to be in a position for the 49ers where you're not sure who the most valuable player on this team is? But he's definitely one of them because, like you said, he can do it all. I mean, there were, there were times where Jimmy wasn't playing well and Debo bailed him out. There were times when the defense has not played well this season and Debo bailed them out. Um, to have a player like that who's almost you know, you see these guys coming out of high school listed as athletes in their college recruitment. That's kind of what Debo Samuel is. He's just an athlete. You can't really classify what he's able to bring to this game and what he's able to do. And he just throws defenses so off balance. We've seen it all season, really, since he came into the league. But it's just so interesting, especially because he's really not built like a prototypical wide receiver one. Um, but he, he just manages to make incredible catches, get those yards after catch, and stymie defenses. And it's Really fun to see what he's able to bring to this offense. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have him out there healthy. Kittle, you have to have him healthy. And then on the defensive side, Nick Bosa has made a great comeback from surgery, and uh, he's just tearing up quarterbacks this year. I mean, 15 sacks already. Uh, I don't know what they would have done without Bosa being uh, healthy and playing the way he is. I admit I was really nervous when Nick Bosa got hurt just because he does have a history of injuries dating back to college and even high school. Um, but I think that perhaps I was wrong to be worried because he looks as good as anyone in the game. Trent Williams, as a matter of fact, said this week that he thinks that Nick Bosa is a specimen so good that if you created a pass rusher in the lab, you would come out with Nick Bosa. <laughs> and his combination of physicality, size, speed, his hands, his, um, I don't necessarily love this term, but you hear coaches throw it around, and it's true in his case, his violence that he brings to the field. Um, he just plays the position at such a high level. And, you know, I, I think opposing tackles really despise having to go uh, up against him. Eric Armstead has not, you know, proved to be the replacement for DeForest Buckner necessarily that we hoped he would after that season and he had in his contract year. Um, but it doesn't really matter when you look at the way Nick Bosa is playing and then some of the depth that they have along the rest of the defensive line. I think the one Achilles heel for this team, Kate, would be the defensive backs. Although, I mean, when I think about safety, if 
you know, if you've got Jimmy Ward healthy and you got Jaquaski Tart healthy, you're pretty covered on the back end there. But as far as the cornerbacks, uh, there have been some injuries in there, and it definitely has gotten to be where it's thinner, and there have been a lot of penalties called on this unit uh, that can be distressing. So what have you thought? I mean, you mentioned going into the lab. It seems like the, the Niners would have needed to go into the lab and come up with a, a cornerback at some point. Uh, but what do you think about their, the state of their defensive backs now? That has been a big source of concern ever since the beginning of the season when Jason Verrett uh, tore his ACL again and was done for the season. That was just such a heartbreaking moment because he'd worked so hard to come back. Um, And at that moment, I think pretty much everyone on the 49ers from top to bottom thought, what the heck are we going to do? They immediately started finding guys off the streets, Josh Norman, who wasn't in football shape necessarily. And we've seen that from some of the penalties he's drawn this year. Um, Buster Screen was there one week, uh, Drake Kirkpatrick there another week, so just, you know, some random guys, but they've overperformed, I think, when you look at um, how many injuries they've had and, and what they've, they've had to do. That being said, Ambry Thomas has not played especially well the past two weeks. He's a rookie. He doesn't look like he's really ready to play that position. Um, the other rookie, D'Amador Lenoir, also probably not ready to play that position. So it really, really hurt them to lose Emmanuel Mosley. Um, That's such a tough blow, and it really sounds like they don't think that they'll get him back for the regular season. If he were to come back, they would have to make the postseason for him to be able to play again. Um, I think that's something that opposing teams are really going to try to take advantage of um, here in the last three games of the regular season. And that is probably the number one thing that they're worried about. I'm really not sure how they're going to address that. Yeah, this is a tough game, too, on a, on a Thursday going two time zones over to Nashville. Uh, you know, even though the 49ers are playing well, I mean, it's a lot to ask to beat a, a really good Tennessee team that, you know, they could be a Super Bowl contender. So what are your thoughts about the Niners going into this game? And what did you hear from some of the players and maybe the coaching staff as far as their concern level for trying to have this short turnaround and travel and everything? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's not ideal, especially at this point in the season, because you're already kind of tired, right? Your bodies are already pretty banged up. And then here you are going into a really short week. I mean, you have four days between games. They played so hard in that game on Sunday against the Falcons, Um, maybe even harder than we anticipated them to when you look at what the Falcons had done on paper. But um, yeah, Tennessee is also hungry as well. I mean, they started out looking like an incredible team, but the, you know the the AFC picture is a little bit unclear right there. So they they do need to win as well. Um, and I think that they're going to be playing hard. I think that uh, San Francisco is going to try to take advantage of their lack of Garrick Henry. They're going to try to exploit them, not really knowing what they're doing in the run game. Um, and they better um, watch out for. Like you said, uh, on offense, you know, those, those two safeties, they're a tandem that um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo and those skill players are pretty, pretty worried about, and, and they feel like they need to watch out for. So um, I do expect the 49ers to win this game, all things considered, but um, it is going to be a really, really big challenge for them. I know that they're really taking it quite seriously, and they don't want to have to, you know, come back and have it be a must win in that last game of the season against the Rams. But, um, you know, they, they are allowing for that possibility, of course. Yeah, a little easier against the Texans the, the following week uh, after this Thursday night game, and you, you're well-rested against a team that's, you know, really one of the worst in the NFL. Yeah. 
Uh, let's switch gears and talk about the Warriors. They have had just an incredible start to their season, and I think it's pretty unexpected because you figured when they got Clay Thompson back that they would be whole, but they played so well without him, and then they're going to get him back in January. Tell us a little bit about what you've heard as far as Clay and his, his return uh, and the way they've handled that because they definitely have you know tried to handle him with kid gloves there. Yeah, that's it. You know, I was actually out at Warriors practice today, and they had Clay practicing separately from the rest of the team on the main court, not on the practice court. So he's, you know, doing everything he possibly can to get ready. Juan Toscano Anderson actually talked today and said that he had recently scrimmaged against Clay and kept on getting beaten. So, in his opinion, <laughs> Clay is as good as he's ever been. Uh, JTA said he was actually feeling a little bit embarrassed by how poorly he performed against Clay in that scrimmage. So, I think that speaks to. Um, you know, his level of readiness. That being said, they are doing everything they can to not possibly rush him. Um, and they just want to make sure he's back in 100% full form, no questions asked by the time he, he gets back on, on the floor. Because, I mean, you're coming off two horrific injuries back-to-back. Like, that's just that's so much worse than one. And yeah. um, so much harder to get back into true game shape. So, um, you know, it's looking like, going to be January, whether that's January 9th when they're back at home or whether that's a little later on in January, um, still TBD. But it's a little scary to think about what's going to happen when they have Clay back because they're performing at an absurdly high level with um, Jordan Poole playing in that (laughs) two spot, right? I mean, they're just performing better than anyone thought that they were going to be. And if Jordan Poole can come out of the um, COVID protocols and Andrew Wiggins and Damian Lee just went in there today. If they have all those guys healthy, um, hopefully they can evade more COVID issues coming up, but they're almost looking like they're going to be as good as they've ever been. Draymond is playing as well as he's played. Steph clearly is playing as well as he's played. And it's just going to be so exciting to have playback. By the way, I mean, these COVID issues, it's just cropping up all over the place. How are the players reacting to that? Because, I mean, you know, most of the players are vaccinated, so I would think that there's not as much of a fear factor. But as far as, you know, players going out when they test positive and then their teams are decimated by it, it's got to be difficult. Yeah, it is. Um, They're planning to get everyone boosted as well. Um, And I think that they feel fortunate to be primarily in the Bay Area because there is such a high rate of vaccination here. So they feel that maybe they've been able to avoid a little bit of the surge that other teams are seeing now just by virtue of being a Bay Area team. But you still got to go on the road. And clearly, as we see now, there are three guys in the protocols. So um, they're not immune to it. It's on their mind. Um, It's something that they think about every day. They're just trying to be as cautious as possible, trying to make great decisions when it comes to what they do outside of the facility, when they're not at the games. And uh, just trying to be cognizant of, you know, how those decisions can affect the rest of their teammates and both from a health level and a basketball level. So um, I think they're approaching it really smartly. I think that's one thing that Steve Kerr really impresses upon his players. And one of the things that's made them successful over the years is they all try to be really thoughtful when it comes to, to their decision making. And you see that in the fact that you don't hear a lot of Warriors players getting into skirmishes um, outside of basketball or anything like that so um they're approaching covid with cautiousness and respect and just hoping that they can have a little bit of luck in there as well to keep them from um having to deal with more than they're dealing with right now 
And you got the NHL season taking a pause right now because of this. I mean, yeah. hopefully they come back and they're strong. But, I mean, it's, it is pretty complicated for the NHL because they've got those Canadian teams. And, you know, and I think in Canada they've uh, approached this probably in a, in a stronger way than the United States has. So, you know, I, I just I'm curious about what the future is going to be with COVID and, and the NHL because it seems like that, that might be the toughest league to keep everything going. Yeah, I think so. And the Sharks certainly tasted that earlier in the season. There was a point there where they had, gosh, I, I think it was seven players and their head coach, Bob Bugner, in their COVID protocols, and they missed several games. It seemed like yeah. they were never going to get out of there. Um, so I think the rest of the pro leagues are kind of anxiously looking to see what the NHL does, and we might be seeing a lot more changes coming up here in the next few weeks, in the next month or so, depending on what happens with this Omicron variant. Yes. Uh, one more league to talk about, Major League Baseball <laughs> and the lockout. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just so uh, disturbing to anybody who loves baseball the way we do. And, you know, you and I covered it in the minor league level, and you see the purity of that and not a lot of money being made. And then you think about, you know, all that money at stake with Major League Baseball. What are your thoughts about that? Well, yeah. I mean, I was so surprised when I started covering the minor leagues with you and learned that so many of the players live with host families and don't even buy their own food. And, and I, I mean, they're essentially making an allowance, um, yeah. yet they're technically professional players. So clearly that part of the system really needs to be fixed. It's very hard not to empathize with the players on, on that. Um, the distribution of money is, is obviously <laughs> a, a big, big problem that needs to be addressed and it is just so sad that it's come to this situation um it seems like they're really at a stalemate i mean there hasn't been a ton disclosed about exactly how negotiations have been going but um it just seems like so many teeny allowances are being made on either side when they are issuing their proposals and rebuttals to one another that they're really not making much progress any time they go to the table and that's what's been the most discouraging about this whole process and i know that of course no one wants to miss regular season games, but it just, you can't help but feel like everyone's being so stubborn that if there were ever a time that they were going to miss regular season games, this, this could be it. I hope that's not the case, but it's just hard to be optimistic. Yeah, it just could be a disaster. All right, I, I want to talk about your career. Uh, you seem really happy over there at Cron. Uh, tell me about how that came to fruition. Uh, Kate and I worked together at Comcast Hometown Network. We covered a lot of high school sports and minor league baseball, the San Jose Giants. And then, of course, you were at Pac-12 Network as well. I still do some work for them. Uh, but you're over there at Cron, and, and it seems like they've got you running around. And uh, I, I'm curious, you know, how excited you are about the opportunity that you got and, and how it's been going. It's been going great. Uh, I think it's a dream for a lot of sports broadcasters to be able to cover the teams that they grew up watching and be able to live near your family because so many people in this business have to live so far away from family and, uh, you know, you're starting from scratch with teams that you may not know anything about. Um, so I definitely had an advantage from that perspective. I, I do miss covering high school sports. Um, you know, we, of course, will pay attention when there's a cool story, a uh, same with college. We're not doing a ton of college. We're mostly focused on the pros. So I do, I do miss that. Um, but I, I really do love it. I, I mean, I, I get to go from Warriors to 49ers to Sharks games. And then of course this, you know, fantastic Giants team that we got to cover this last season. Um, and, you know, I know how passionate the fans are in the Bay area. And so being able to try to tell 
stories that matter and do a few cool feature stories too when things calm down with NFL a little bit um, is always one of my favorite things to do. But I just, I really do love working with Cron. And of course, I get to work with some of the greatest names in news in the Bay Area. If, if your listeners are from the Bay Area, they'll know Pam Moore and Ken Wayne and Catherine Heenan. And so just to work with them has been absolutely surreal. And I really do consider myself incredibly fortunate. Tell us about the balance, too, of being a mom and working. You know, sometimes it's, it's strange hours and, and a lot of hours and, uh, you know, trying to have that balance. Well, I'm incredibly lucky to have a very supportive partner who also works in sports. I think that helps um, so he can yeah. empathize with working nights and weekends and holidays um, and doesn't get frustrated about that. Right now, my kids are really little. They're three and one. <laughs> so they don't know what's normal to them. You know, they don't mind if I'm not there for a night or if I'm not there for a weekend day. I don't know if that'll last. Uh, might bug them more when they're a little bit older and I'm not there to help with homework or, you know, missing a piano recital or who knows what they'll be interested in. But um, right now, it it's great. I think that it's important for kids to see their parents doing jobs that they are passionate about and that they work hard at and that they feel um, excited to go into. So that's what I try to tell myself when I have to say goodbye to them. And, um, you know, they're too young to understand what seeing me on, on TV means. My daughter did try to talk to the screen and got pretty frustrated that I wasn't responding. So... <laughs> Maybe one day they'll think it's cool, or maybe one day they'll be embarrassed. But for now, um, it's, it's definitely working for, for our family, and I, I feel really happy that I get to be able to you know, wear both those hats right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very cool. But, you know, it's interesting because you had studied uh, musical theater in college, so I'm curious uh, when you ended up going into sports, uh, had you considered, you know, trying to do both and, and uh, you know, where that all went in your career? Uh, and would you consider even, you know, trying to do that again down the road, uh, do something with musical theater? My biggest dream is to be able to do community theater again one day. I probably can't do it at the professional level. I think that ship has sailed. Um, but I dream of being able to perform in a musical <laughs> again one day. Um, I... I always thought that I would be a journalist and pursue musicals on the side as a hobby, but it just so happened that I got an opportunity to go to a really good school for musical theater, and it was just one of those things where I felt like I couldn't pass it up, um, but I never stopped caring about sports and just taking in all the sports writing and reporting that I could, and so eventually at some point when I felt like I didn't have the right level of drive to really pursue making musical theater a full-time career. It just felt kind of natural for me to go back to sports. And of course I was a little older, so I had to start from scratch. And I went back to school and got a master's in journalism at USC, which was a great experience because I got to cover USC football and tons of other sports that I hadn't known much about previously. And that just really helped me lay a good foundation. Um, but you know, occasionally when I can, I will try to like incorporate a song lyric or a little song or something like that into my sports cast when I'm writing um, what I'm going to talk about. So I try to be able to intertwine my two passions in that way. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how successful I am at that. But yeah, I do. I do have dreams of one day returning to the stage in some capacity. I don't know what that will be. You know, it's interesting, too, my fellow Trojan, uh, because I have a degree in broadcast journalism from USC, although not a master's like you. And being that you do have that master's, um, obviously you take journalism very seriously, and it's changed so much, I mean, especially in maybe the last 10 to 15 years. Tell me a little bit about what you've seen and, and what you want to see from journalists uh, going forward. Yeah, I think I 
I got my master's in 2012. I started school in 2010. So man, it really has changed during that time. Um, I think I kind of got into school at a time when a big turn was being taken, when they were, they were starting to recognize that, um, you know, print journalism was changing and that digital journalism and social media were becoming a really big thing that had to be taken seriously. So because of that, I got in at a pretty good time in the sense that I learned web stuff. I learned um, a little bit about how to do social media. I learned how to do video content. And I think that that's kind of what's expected of a lot of young people in journalism now. You are expected to be able to do all of that and wear all those hats. And whether that's fair, I don't really know, because I think it's reasonable to expect that, you know, people tend to excel at one thing or another and not be amazing at everything. Everyone has their strengths. Um, but the good thing about that is there are so many different options and avenues and ways um, to break into this industry and uh, different ways to make your mark. Um, I just think it's so cool that you're seeing people come into the industry and not necessarily have to do it the old-fashioned way where you had to start in, you know, the smallest possible town in a state you maybe had barely even heard of before, making $15,000 a year, and then just slowly, gradually climb your way up the ladder. It's not like that anymore. Some people do still choose to do that, and it's great, and I think you can gain a lot of wonderful experience and make really great relationships that way, but there's also a lot of other ways to do it, and it's just fun to see what what different paths everyone takes and um, the way it evolves. I just hope that, you know... I continue to evolve with it yeah. <laughs> and don't become it at some point. <laughs> well, in the opportunities for women now, how much have you seen that increase? Uh, you know, it's visible to many of us, uh, but as far as, you know, just your own personal side, uh, looking at the opportunities and how they've grown over the you know recent years. It's really incredible. Um, I think it's a great time to be a woman in sports. I think that people are really starting to recognize that women have a really valuable voice and something different to contribute, something unique to contribute. So I think most people want to hear from women in sports and most employers recognize that they want to have women among their staff. That being said, I, you know, I was at 49ers practice yesterday and if there were about maybe 12 of us there, only two of us were women. There are probably about four or five women. I apologize if I'm forgetting anyone who are there every day covering the 49ers, like on a beat type of reporting schedule. Um, and so, you know, the, it's still, there's still a chasm for sure, um, especially I think when it comes to beat writing in that sense. But um, the great thing is the players who are coming up now, and this is through all sports, they're really used to it. They are so young that they haven't lived at a time when there weren't women sports reporters. And so to them, it's completely normal. They don't think anything different about talking to a woman the same way they would to talk to a man. They don't have any less respect for women doing that job. And um, I think that is a huge change that is going to just continue to benefit women going forward because it's just, you know, the more normalized something becomes, um, the more beneficial it is for everyone else and the more doors that are automatically open for everyone else. Well, I'm also curious about your goals because there are more uh, opportunities in other positions too, because, you know, it used to be that a woman basically is just going to be a sideline reporter or maybe a reporter anchor, but now you see more play-by-play jobs going to women. You saw Kate Scott go to the Philadelphia 76ers mentioning somebody from the Bay Area. So uh, have your goals changed at all knowing that? Um, I don't think so, because I think that my strengths are still, um, you know, in the basic storytelling realm. Um, And for me, that's 
you know, I'm doing features here in the Bay Area or I guess wherever I might end up being um, and, and telling stories in that way. I love being a sideline reporter because I just love going to the games and being on the field. I find that that's just what I really enjoy. I'm incredibly impressed by people like Kate Scott, who is just someone who I should shout out because she gave, she's given me some great advice and helped open some doors for me in my own career. Um, and she's just a really generous, uh, supportive person. So I'm not surprised to see her excel. Um, but I just know that I could probably never do <laughs> what she does. And I don't think I'd want to because it just seems so overwhelming. And I mean, I've seen you do it too. And just the level of preparation and, um, you know, attention to detail that you have to have is, is incredible. Um, and, um, no, I wouldn't say my goals have changed for right now. Maybe they will in the future, but for right now, I just hope to be able to keep doing what I'm doing at a high level. And um, I, I guess my biggest hope is that I'm able to do this for as long as I want to. And if I ever do decide to move on to something else, that it will be my choice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kate, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I always enjoyed working with you, of course. I uh, value our friendship a lot. And I uh, hope that you have a great holiday. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's... Really a lot of fun uh, the rest of the way for the 49ers and the Warriors. I mean, it really makes it enjoyable when, when these teams are doing well. It really does, and I hope that we get to have a baseball season and build upon the foundation that the Giants started this season because my apologies to the A's. It is much more fun to cover really good teams. Um, and, Joe, it's just always so fun to talk to you. I love getting to stay connected with you. And um, so cool and full circle to be able to be a guest on your podcast. I'm so honored. All right, well, take care of yourself. Again, happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Happy holidays, Joe. That's Kate Rooney, sports anchor and reporter from KRON-TV in San Francisco. Well, happy holidays, everybody. We'll be back again next week. Mario Impemba, former play-by-play announcer with the Detroit Tigers. He has a new book out. We're going to talk about that and get to know Mario Impemba a lot better, somebody that... I got to know when I was in the minor leagues, and he was just starting out as a major league announcer. Uh, this guy is one of the best. We'll talk to him next week on the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.